is a blessing to be back with you. And uh, again, my wife Cindy and I just want to thank you for your faithfulness in praying for us as well as in your giving. And not only for us, but for the other missionaries that you support. One of the things that um, is very uh, apparent is, like Jesus said, where our heart is, there will our treasure be, or vice versa. And the things that we buy, the things that we spend money on, uh, are an indication of where our hearts are at. And uh, I just want to commend you and urge you um, and encourage you to continue to uh, be sensitive to the Lord and to uh, make his priorities your priority. So um, we uh, certainly have had a very different year uh, (laughs) uh, since last March. And um, it's uh, all of the restrictions with COVID coupled with the very inordinate fears among many Muslims has uh, really made uh, a lot of ministry to Muslims um, look very different in 2020 and even to the present. But God still gives us ideas, he gives us creativity, and his spirit is not, um, nor is his word bound or hampered or hindered by the thing or anything that the devil does. So, um, is the PowerPoint that I sent, is that ready? If we could show that. I'd like to just give an update about some of the things that we've been involved in this past year and continue to be involved in, uh, depending on the time of the year. Um, and then uh, I will give a message that the Lord has laid on my heart. So Cindy and I and our youngest son, Jonathan, is uh, with us today. And he's, he's, um, we live in Dearborn, and we've been there since 1995 to help uh, start a church, uh, Springwell's uh, Church, and as well as continue to evangelize and train others to reach out to Muslims. So if we could go to the next slide. Um, uh, these are things that probably most of you know, um, and those are conservative. That's a conservative number. That there's about forty thousand Arabic-speaking Muslims or people of Arab, you know, of that descent, on Dearborn. The number's probably higher, but I don't like to exaggerate. So um, let's go to the next slide. Um, the three main groups of Muslims are from Lebanon, Iraq, and Yemen, and. Uh, So God has really given us an incredible opportunity to evangelize some of the least evangelized peoples in the world. And so uh, I'd like to, uh, I'm not going to spend time, I know I did last year, especially talking about Yemen, and it's, that is one of the most unevangelized nations in the world. And if you happen to know someone who's from Yemen, then take the opportunity to invite that person to church. Take the opportunity to tell that person, um, you know, ask that person if he or she would like to read the Bible with you. Just, it, it is incredible how unevangelized Yemen is. Okay, next slide. Um, we had uh, the man in the uh, middle with the uh, gray beard and the nice smile. His name is Scott Cherry. He's been there in Dearborn longer than we have. And in 2019, he he ministers mainly on campuses, and he had this idea, Adam, what if we set up a book table like we do here at U of M Dearborn, as well as at Wayne, not Wayne State, the uh, Henry Ford. And uh, we fill it with Christian literature, and and, uh, we 
look for opportunities not only to hand out the literature, but for people to come up and talk and get an, engage in conversation. So we took it. That's actually at Hemlock Park, for any of you who know Dearborn. And, uh, that's, um, and so we did this this past summer, and it was just really an incredible opportunity. Uh, and even with the restrictions and the fears, uh, especially among Muslims, about the virus, we still had great opportunities of people coming up to the book table, taking literature, getting into conversations. And um, it was very encouraging to me that this idea that Scott had and said, Adam, you want to join with me? And I said, yes, let's do it, to see how many Christians were just zealous to come out. And we actually would go to other parks as well on uh, Tuesday, no, what, was it Tuesdays and Thursdays or Mondays? I can't remember, but it was twice a week. And uh, we can plan on continuing to do that. And so I want to extend the invitation. You would like to come join us uh, when the weather gets nicer, so probably around May or June. Uh, we're going to be doing the same thing. And it is really a great opportunity to uh, um, engage with people to tell them about Jesus. So that's um, one, of the, one of the highlights of last year, and that will carry on as, as the summer uh, eventually gets here. So if we could go to the next slide. Um, another uh, thing, Scott Cherry, um, he, he's, he's quite an evangelist. He's friends with a guy who owns uh, or runs this Lava Java Cafe in the east end of Dearborn, and he rented it out and showed... Um, uh, different episodes of The Chosen. We also did a play based on C.S. Lewis' uh, book called The Great Divorce. And uh, it cost a lot of money, but it was definitely a step of faith to say, you know, let's take the church, so to speak, outside of the four four walls of our church buildings and take it to the marketplace, if you will. And um, so that's something else that we've been involved in. The next slide... Um, then uh, these are two booklets that I've, I've written and uh, a lot of scripture, so really mainly compiled, both in English and in Arabic, and that's a Christmas outreach that was done behind Springwell's church because of the COVID thing and having, it out, having to have it outdoors, so it wasn't quite as cold that day as it is today, but anyway, it was still cold. But um, just through literature, um, we are also uh, helping to reach Muslims, um, and we're just thankful for to Jesus and just to do Bible studies with them. Uh, one of them has gone back. They both went uh, to Youth with a Mission for, I think it was six months, came back, and I had the privilege of meeting them. And one of them is back with Youth with a Mission. The other one wants to go to uh, back to Youth with a Mission. But this has um, then given us just uh, great opportunities to minister to them. And uh, I had a great opportunity to minister to the mother and her uh, boyfriend, uh, which is a, an interesting situation, but um, so that's uh, you know something that uh, very, we're very thankful for. And uh, but we really would like the restrictions lifted so we could actually do more of this in face to face. So, for instance, there's a family from Lebanon that we helped uh, to get into. They were here in the states temporarily, and then we they uh, ended up getting. Uh, we were able to help them to get into Canada. We can't visit them. And, but Cindy is faithful to pray for um, um, the uh, the lady that uh, and and her three children, 
and so uh, and keeps in touch with her through phone calls and texts. So this is some of the ways that we've been affected by 2020. All right, next slide. Um, we also have, uh, I've got has opened a door, um, being able to be a part of the Springwells Training Center. Um, and this is to train interns, teams, uh, um, prospective missionaries. And these are just, uh, that's um, the uh, family up there, the husband and wife. They are now serving in the Middle East uh, and their Assemblies of God missionaries. Um, the young woman there, uh, she uh, went to Southeastern. I think she's graduated, and um, she would like to be a missionary to Muslims. And there are others as well. Those are, I was, when putting this together, I was like, wow, there are a lot of pictures of people I don't have. But anyway, so this is something that we've done. And then um, this, these two, well, the top book, The Muslim Doctrine of God, is one of the things that I use to teach them uh, about uh, Islam and also to, and in doing that, it also um, brings us direct with scripture because Islam in so many ways is the direct opposite of whatever the Bible teaches. And so it's a really um, an important, important book. And I urge them then to read the Muslim Christ on their own. So that's, you know, a, a taste of, you know, uh, you know, something that I've been involved in. And then let's go to the next slide. Um, also training, we, in September, we had what is known as Engage Islam Institute. And uh, I also was able to uh, teach um, at a Youth with a Mission base in Redding, California in October. And then that leads us then to the next, and, and the purpose of these conferences is to help Christians learn about Islam and Muslims so that they will pray for them, tell them about Jesus, and uh, support others who are telling them about Jesus. And then if we could go to the next slide, and um, this is uh, part of the resources God has really laid on my heart uh, from a, a long time ago about gathering the writings of pioneer missionaries to Muslims, so basically anything prior to 1950. I have a nascent website. It's not very uh, big, and it's very uh, basic. But um, I am preparing, working on a very long project and preparing materials for it. And the purpose of this is to create a digital or an online library for this information. And because it's, when you start ministering to Muslims, it is, uh, it is very easy to think that you are the first person that's ever told them about Jesus. And there is almost a complete ignorance of the missionaries that have gone before us and the work that has already been done. And so, and there's, and when you read a lot of this literature, you don't get this, let's try to merge Islam and Christianity together, or let's try to paint Muslims in an unrealistic way that um, makes them seem to be much more, something that they're not. Because as, just from experience, when you read a lot of Christian literature, it says that Muslims are God-fearers, they're God-seekers. And when you talk to Muslims, they're very quick to parrot arguments against the Bible. And it seems like they really know their stuff and like they know the Bible better than you do. They don't. And most Muslims don't like their religion. Most Muslims don't even think about their religion. 
And even if they pray five times a day, which they're supposed to pray, even if they fast, actually fast during the month of Ramadan, the daylight hours that they're supposed to do, most Muslims are not thinking about God. It's just form. It's just habit. It's ritual. And so these are, you know, this is some of the um, importance of getting into this, um, you know, of being able to use whatever of this literature is helpful. Because there is such a, there is such a pattern of people reaching out to Muslims and invest time, they invest uh, in learning languages, learning the culture, and then they stop ministering to Muslims. It's like, you know, there's something just doesn't seem right about that. Anyway, so this is something that God's laid on my heart, and, you know, may he use it as he sees fit. And the next slide, and this is, uh, there's research and writing. Um, these are some of the, I've, uh, I have four published articles. It's, it's actually five, but um, that was my mistake. And, uh, and then, you know, these are two of the articles, and I, I didn't expect this. And, and in, compared to other things, it's really small, but it's, it's amazing to me how, some of these things that I like this article about Son of God in the Old Testament that was on the internet in 2013 um, initially and uh, it didn't get very much traction and then as the years went on it just you know hundreds of people at least I think this is the wrong term click on it or view it each day I you know I mean it's just kind of amazing to me but uh, it, it, it is very encouraging and the same thing for this article about the Trinity it's not quite as high as that but that's also an outlet that God has given to us and that your prayers and your giving are helping to, uh, um, you know, take place. And then the next thing I'd like to challenge all of you with is the, an upcoming training in June. It's going to be in Grand Rapids. And I do have some postcards. Uh, one of the things that we did with the Engage Islam Institute in September is that this is the first time that we're not only having in-person you know, conferences as if we ever used that term before. But um, it's also going to be available online. And um, I would really encourage you to take a postcard uh, that's out there uh, where, with, along with our prayer cards and the little display there and really see if this is something that God would have you be a part of. Because Muslims are all around us. We know that. And it's easy, it's easy to avoid them. You know, they have different cult, you know, a different culture, different habits. You know, it's and a lot of the, it's easy when something's different to say, well, that's strange and that's weird. But you should really go eat a shawarma and you will fall in love with garlic. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so not everything about the Middle East is weird, you know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I, I just really would, um, you know, urge you to take this seriously. And, um, and also... If you're ever looking for a missions trip, all you have to do is go a few miles, just call us, and we'll take you to Dearborn, and we will <laughs> um, give you opportunities to tell Muslims about Jesus. But I would dare say that some of you already have that, whether it's people, you know, people that you know in the circles you know, with work, school, home, and uh, take the step. And just like uh, Pastor Nate was challenging us to take that step of faith, during our time of worship, take that step of faith. If you know a Muslim 
and invite a Muslim to church, even if he says no. So what? You know, and, and um, it's a, you'd be surprised at how curious Muslims are if you engage them. So that's a uh, little bit of uh, an update. And now I'd like us to uh, turn in our Bibles to John 3.16. And so in your missions um, day, or, or the beginning of your missions emphasis, missions convention, a very familiar scripture, John 3.16. And uh, I'd like to uh, pose a question to you before I pray, and uh, then continue with this message. Now, I have a question. That clock there says 10.22 a.m. That has to be wrong. <laughs> what is the actual time? Because this is dangerous for you. Aha. <laughs> All right. So imagine you went to the doctor and you, uh, you had a checkup. And it, the results came to the doctor that you had a deadly but curable disease. But you didn't get that information yet. But somehow your family members or friends did. And so you have no clue that you have this disease, this deadly disease. And it's three in the morning, you're sleeping soundly, and your family or friends turn on the lights and start yelling and screaming at you to get up and they've got to rush you to the hospital but they don't tell you why, how would you react to that? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, God, for salvation. We thank you, God, that you are who you are. God, thank you so much, God, for manifesting your presence this morning as we were singing your praises. Thank you, God, for the ministers of music, God, and for their preparation and for the way that you had truly just blessed us. God, we ask you to continue to do this. Thank you, God, for the different things that are, are, have been accomplished um, through the ministry in Dearborn. And thank you, God, for the partnership of our brothers and sisters right here. And God, we ask you, Lord, that as we look into your word, to be reminded of things that I would uh, believe that most of us already know, that, God, you would yet use it in our lives. God, we thank you so much uh, for saving us. And God, I pray that that passion for souls would grip us and mark our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My message today is very simple. Why preach the gospel? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son or his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This well-known verse is a powerful summary of the gospel. And by that, that, is, that, what that means is the message of salvation from sin, how a person gets saved. And in this verse, the foremost idea is that of God's love. And we know because of what Jesus said and just you know, common sense, even if you don't know the Bible, that Self-sacrifice is the greatest expression of love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, 
that one lay down his life for his friends. Yet this verse, John 3.16, is giving us an aspect of love that is unique, that, isn't, that, that is unique to what is laid out in this verse, and that is a little bit different. It, it's really related, but there's an aspect of it that's not even seen in self-sacrifice, and that is the sacrificing of a, a parent sacrificing a child for someone else. And especially if it's an only child. Every parent that's in their right mind would much rather die than have any one of their children die. And so the extent of God's love is really, really highlighted in this amazing, amazing summary of the gospel. Yet, this, the extent of this love can only be recognized by, a, by, or can only be understood by recognizing a very dark reality. And what is the dark reality in John 3.16? Say it louder. Yeah, use, I want the language in the verse. Oh, wow, that is really tiny. Wow, good night. Get out the binoculars. All right, so in John 3.16, what, what is the indication that there is a dark reality? Yes, people are perishing. John 3.16 assumes this, it presupposes this, that people are perishing. The whole beauty of God's love in this verse can only be rightly understood in the context that people are perishing. And this leads me then to my next point, and it's simply titled, In Sin. In various parts of the Bible, it states that people are in their sins. Sometimes it uses the word iniquities, and sometimes the word trespasses. And the greatest number of these occurrences are found in the book, or is found in the book of Ezekiel. So, for instance, in Ezekiel 3, beginning with verse 17, it says, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. So understand, God's speaking to Ezekiel and he says, you're a watchman. And you have to warn people to repent. Because if you don't, he's going to die in his iniquity or they will die in their iniquity. So they're already in their sin. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin. And his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. So Ezekiel is the one where we find this phrase, you know, in his sin, in their sins, in their iniquities, in their trespasses. It's at, it occurs at least ten times. But this is not the only place in the Bible where we find such language. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus refers to this language. He uses this language. So in verse 21, he says, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And who is Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to Jews. He was speaking to people who knew the word of God that was, you know, existing at that point, what we popularly commonly call the Old Testament. And then in verse 24, he, said, he continues, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, that he is not in the Greek. It should just read, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is using the same exact language that he gave to Ezekiel back during when Ezekiel was alive. And then also in Paul's letters, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Again, assuming that people as people are in their sins. Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, referring to our condition before we became believers in Jesus. In Colossians 2.13, similar language. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So it is clear from all of these passages that all people are in sin. There are no exceptions. And it does not matter if a person has never done any of the really bad sins like murder or abuse. God's word is clear that we are all sinners. We are all in sin. And the standard of the Bible or or the teaching of the Bible about sin is much, much different than what we find in other religious books. Because the Bible tells us that sin begins with the thought. And it tells us this in various ways. And in one such passage is, Uh, found in Matthew 15. And Jesus said this, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile or make unclean the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man or make the man unclean. And we also know that God looks at the heart and not only judges our outward actions, but also judges our motives. And that's one of the things that's a common refrain throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. Where, you know, in the first chapter of Isaiah, you know, know, when you pray, I'm not even going to acknowledge you. You know, Amos, stop singing to me. Repent. And so... It's not only a thing about God, um, you know, like if, you know, well, you know, is this, who's, okay, this is Aaron's Bible, well, so, um, you know, that's not only sin. Sin began with me, wow, I really want that Bible. So it began there, and so, that, you know, it's, that's much, much different. So many times, and because of our sinful nature, we just look at sin as something that's, you know, just the outward action. But God's word teaches us that it begins with the thought, 
and he judges even our motives. Another thing to consider about sin is Adam and Eve, the very first humans to understand this language of in sin. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before they were expelled from the garden? One. Not only that, what was their specific sin? Well, 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 yeah, but what was the specific act of disobedience? Yeah. So let me ask you this. How many of you parents uh, have ever told your children not to snack before a meal? And yet you, came, you found out that they did snack before a meal. Has that ever happened to any of you? Okay. So have any of you ever told your, you know, two-year-old or, you know, maybe a little bit older than that saying, you know... <laughs> Sorry, son. Sorry, daughter. You've blown it. And you kicked them out of your house and said, fend for yourself. You blew it. Anybody here done that? I hope not. Okay, so it seems a little extreme from, you know, you, you know injecting a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I don't really know that I'm trying to be humorous. I guess I am. But um, and none of us would think that, okay, eating food that you were told not to eat would require such, you know, extreme measures. It's kicking them out of the house and saying, sorry, you know, I know we're blood and flesh, you know, but uh, it's over now. The relationship between us is gone. But there's something very instructive about that for us. Because God sees everything and he knows everything. And so we can look at what Adam and Eve did and saying, oh, well, you know, yeah, they disobeyed God, but, you know, it's not as bad as what, Cain, you know, in the next generation with Cain killing his brother Abel. But see, the, the reality of disobedience, no matter how benign or seemingly innocuous it may appear, is that when we leave sin to itself to do whatever it wants. We don't put any restrictions on it. We allow sin to have its free course. We will be murdering our brother because the end result of disobedience to God is murder. And if God could be killed, we would want to kill God. When we say no to God and we allow it to, if we were to allow it to run its free course, we would at least attempt to kill God. Not that he can be killed. But that is one of the aspects of the cross that God has set before us. God is God, can't be killed. But Because Jesus is God who became a human being. He is the eternal son of God who became the son of man or the son of Adam. He is the word, which we read in John 1, was God. And in verse 14, and the word became flesh. He is the word become flesh so that he could be subject to death. And that is one of the ugly realities that we see about sin at the cross. When sin is unleashed, we would kill God if, if, you know, without any kind of like, oh, well, you know, we want to look prim and proper. It is for good reason 
that Psalm 14.3 states, there is no one who does good, not even one, which is quoted in Romans 3. God's righteous standard for judging between right and wrong is precise, exacting, and inflexible. Jesus told us that standard in another place. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in light of this standard, who can claim that he is sinless? And it doesn't matter what the culture is. You know, it's an amazing thing. People like to say, well, what, a, you know, what about you know, these primitive tribes in the Amazon or maybe somewhere that's still left in a South Pacific island or maybe somewhere in Africa that was overlooked? Go ahead and read. You know, if we were to read that list in Matthew 15, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Read the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Read any of these lists of sins that we find, and you will find throughout all of history, it doesn't matter what the ethnicity is, it doesn't matter whether people are rich or poor, it doesn't matter whether it's male or female, it doesn't matter whether they're tribal, whether they're a tribal society, individual society, it doesn't matter whether it's kingdoms or whether it's democracies or it's this or that. All of those behaviors are found in every group of people. We really are sinful as human beings. And I sometimes will give this example. If you had to go to a school and you had to take a thousand tests, and every test you had to get a hundred, there's no grading on a curve, there's no extra credit, it's just you and your pure effort. And the first 500 tests you take, you get 100 on every one. But on the 501st test, you end up with a 99. Will you ever be able to raise your grade back to 100? You could take tests from that point on until the day you die, and you're always going to be at 99.99999%. God's standard is perfection. And that, like I said, it's precise, exacting, and inflexible. And so I want us now to, look a, to consider a little bit more about what Jesus said in John 8, 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Again, Jesus assumes or presupposes that people are in their sins. And though he was speaking to the Jews who had been given God's word, they were nevertheless just as guilty before God as were anyone else, including the Gentiles or the non-Jews that they looked down upon. And using this language in Ezekiel, Jesus was telling them in no uncertain terms that they and everyone else is perishing, headed towards God's righteous judgment. But Jesus didn't just simply point out to them this, their awful spiritual condition. He gave them the gospel. He gave them the good news. They did not have to continue perishing or in their sins. They didn't have to die in their sins, but they did have to believe in him as the I am. And I, I want to just, I know I mentioned it briefly. When you read in most English translations, it says, I am he. 
And the 84 NIV says, unless you believe that I am the one whom I, you know, who I claim to be, and it's in half brackets. All of that means is it's not in the Greek language. And he, if you're reading in the King James or the New American Standard, it's in italics. That's an indication that it's not in the original language. Jesus was saying, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And he is making reference to what in the Old Testament? Specifically, yeah, and where's that found? I, when God spoke to Moses and told him, I am. Yes, at Mount Sinai. What chapter of the Bible? What book and chapter? Anyone? Exodus, yes. Exodus 3. Anyone know the verse? 14. So, what happened is that Moses was being reluctant, and he said, well, you know, if I go to the elders, they're going to ask me about your name. I'm paraphrasing it. And then God said, tell them I am who I am. I am sent you. Jesus is making an explicit reference to Exodus 3.14, saying that you have to recognize that I'm the one who is speaking to Moses. And so, for first century Jews, this reference should not have posed a problem as far as a lack of knowledge. They should have easily recognized this as a reference to Exodus 3.14. And then Jesus would go on and repeat this same reference in verses 28 and 58. So what Jesus is saying, it's not enough for us to believe that Jesus is simply a prophet, a human being that was greatly used of God. It's not enough to even think that Jesus was an angel. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that God created Michael the archangel and through Michael the archangel created the universe and then he became a human being. They don't tell you that at first, but that's what they believe. Now, it's not enough to say that Jesus is an incarnate angel or an angel in human form. Jesus is letting them know and everyone else who has ears to hear that we must recognize him for who the Bible says that he is. He is God incarnate or God who became man. And so this is how are people going to know this? If the Jews in the first century who were much more familiar with the contents of the Old Testament than your typical Jew today, and most Christians... (laughs) How much more is the need to tell people what the Bible says? And that's where you and I come in. This is why we preach the gospel. And so with that, I'd like us to look at Romans chapter 10. And starting at verse 9, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13 it says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is quoting Joel 2, verse 32. And the word Lord there is um, in, the, uh, in Joel, this is the divine name in the Old Testament, Yahweh or Yahweh. The And so here is one of the places where the New Testament is yet again identifying Jesus as Yahweh. So whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And then verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, as someone who was not raised in a Christian home, uh, and then I got saved when I was 15, and then very early on uh, was introduced to Pentecostal and charismatic teaching and churches. I constantly heard verse 17 in reference to we need to hear the word of God to build up our faith, to believe God for whatever it is that we need to believe God for. Now, that is a true thing, but guess what? The context of it doesn't fit that teaching. If you want that teaching, then go to Hebrews 11. The context of verse 17 is talking about salvation. No one intuits or no one gets saved by their intuition. Nobody like has, there's never been a person ever that all of a sudden realized that of, you know, I don't know, spontaneous combustion. Wow! There's a creator, and he happens to be triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, and by the way, he's completely perfect. He's holy, and he created us, and he holds us accountable, and his standard is perfection. And oh, by the way, uh, the one that's called the Son, he came down and became a human being with the sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead and then ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding forever for those who put their faith in him. And now I need to repent of my sins and put my faith in him. And oh, by the way, his name, in English, we call him Jesus. And whatever your you know, language. No one has ever, that has never happened and it will never happen. Because as sinners, we're messed up. We can't, we're, it says in very strong language that we're blinded, we're hardened, we're dead. The only way a person gets saved is if someone tells him or tells her about Jesus. None of us have gotten saved without someone having been sent to us. Even in cases like mine, where basically I picked up a copy of my mother's Bible, and it was mainly through reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit showing up in my bedroom, uh, that that's how I got saved. Well, guess what? This book represents, of course, all the people that God used to write it, not to mention then people that translated it, in my, my case, in English, and then, you know, the publication of it, and et cetera, and so on. So even in a, in a case like mine, I'm still dependent on people that said, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. We need to tell people about Jesus. How many of you are happy that you're saved? How many of you are happy that somebody took the time to tell you about Jesus? If you love yourself that much, If you so love yourself, then love your neighbor the same way. The second greatest commandment implies that we will evangelize. And we need to. We need to care. So, Paul wrote this 
under inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he said later in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. It is impossible to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from sin if you do not have certain specific information about who he is and what he has done, coupled with the convincing work of the Holy Spirit. The urgency... No, before I get to that, I, I, I already said I'm looking at my notes, and I've already said that. If you are glad that you are saved... How can you not be thankful for all those who played at least some role in you learning about Jesus? If you love yourself so much in this regard, then you should make it a priority to tell others about Jesus and so love your neighbor as yourself. The urgency for evangelism or preaching the gospel is always very great because people are in their sins. They are currently perishing. And it's something that we don't necessarily emphasize. But it's there in John chapter 3, especially at the end of the chapter. But the Bible's very clear that sin provokes God to anger and breaks his heart with sorrow. So it's not only, you know, some people like to deride the belief in Jesus for salvation is so-called pie in the sky. Well, you know, you'll, you know, you got to suffer here on earth, you know, in order to enjoy, you know, you know, the rest of eternity, the rest of forever after you die, you know, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'd rather, you know, have my cake and eat it too. And, you know, I'll risk whatever I need to risk for eternity or the rest of eternity. That's only a very, that's a very skewed view of what the Bible actually teaches. Telling people about Jesus is not only about them not going to hell. It is primarily you are under the judgment of God now. You are a provocation to God. You make him angry. And oh, by the way, you break his heart with sorrow because of who you are and what you do. That's the reality. And so the urgency to preach the gospel is always with us because people are in their sins. And they are subject to die at any moment and so face God's righteous judgment. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is God's design. We are to preach. We are to tell people about Jesus. And it's a very natural thing. If you spend time with me, and I, I may have, I don't know if I said this last year, but I'm going to say it now. And so, you know, I'm from New York, and I like the Yankees, and I like New York pizza, and I love bagels from New York. And the reason you know that is because I love those things, and we can't but help talk about the things that we're in love with. And if you spend enough time with the person, you're going to know the foods that they like and foods they don't like, and you're going to know what color or colors they like, and et cetera, and so on. We are not told to do anything that's, you know, like humanly, you know, you know, like, you know, like something that's in, you know, like that humans have never done before. But God has chosen and designed that we would speak from the heart the truth of God, not simply as people that have learned a bunch of facts, but as people that are saved ourselves. And in a very real sense, we're eyewitnesses. We might not have seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are, we're we're testifying from firsthand experience about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so I asked you, how would you have react how would how do you think you would react if somebody stormed into your room while you were sleeping and you know telling you to get up and get dressed cuz they're taking you to the to the hospital right away how do you think you would react to that shocked i'd probably be like what are you doing you know and i'd probably be very cranky stop <laughs> And if somebody was dragging you out of bed, you might even be, you know, flailing your arms and kicking at them. It might be like, okay, what are you doing? You know, what's wrong with you? But what if they turned on the lights and they said, please, you know, you know, get up. Well, not please, but, you know, whatever your name is, get up. The doctor came back with a report that you have a deadly disease and you need to get to the hospital right now. Would that change how you would respond? I would think so. You know, of course, some people, when they're awakened out of a deep sleep, you know, it takes a while. But at some point, that, that, that would make a huge, huge difference. Why preach the gospel? Because people are in their sins and they don't know. Even if and they, they don't know, I mean, most people will admit that they do wrong. But from the Bible standpoint, they're not really recognizing their sinfulness. And we need to not only tell them about their actual condition, but give them the solution, the good news, the gospel. They don't have to remain in their sins. This is why we preach the gospel. I really don't know what time it is. Is it really 5 after 12? Yes. No, it's 6 after 12. Okay. Um, Pastor Evan, I don't know how you want to close this service, but in, you know, in light of this, this, and you've pondered it, why don't we take time 
before we go to say, God, here am I, send me. Pastor Nate read that great passage, and I wasn't even thinking about it, and, but boy, it you know obviously fits. And let's ask God to help us to be preachers of the gospel. Because it's easy, when, especially with family and friends, you know, they've heard it and they've rejected it. And it's just kind of easy to say, okay, well, you know, when they're hungry, you know, they can, you know, I'll open my mouth. Or we can get so busy. Whatever the case is, we need to be busy about our Father's business. And there is no greater priority to God than people knowing about Jesus, that they might be saved. So um, I would, if it's okay, I would like anyone who would like to come to the front and let's dedicate, rededicate ourselves to being filled with the Holy Spirit that we might tell people about Jesus. Actually, um, the worship team is still around? You guys want to come up and just play softly? I know it's a little bit later than what you guys are used to, but let's just listen to the Spirit's leading today. Father, I just thank you for this timely message from um, our brother, um, Adam. And I, I just pray um, right now that you will continue to soften our hearts to what you have for us, God. We know that... And we live in a sinful world, a place that is in desperate need of a Savior. God, and how, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And God, what, what, great, what, what amazing news we have that we can come and share, to share with people um, that God so, loved, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's pretty amazing. And so, um, God, as we uh, sing this song, uh, I just pray that you will move in our hearts and move on our spirits. If anyone uh, would like to come forward and get prayed for, Father, may, may you just remove the barriers, the walls that are there. God, we know that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so, God, we're just asking the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers into his harvest field. Um, we know that the harvest is is white and that it's ready to be um, harvested and uh, we need more people to be willing to share their faith and to step out with boldness and to step out in the power of the spirit to step out uh, through the anointing um, of of your spirit father we need people who are willing to um, just set aside every um, weight and and the sin that so easily hinders father and people who are willing to um, just focus on you and 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 pursue you um, and, and just believe that we have something better, God. We ask these things in your holy name. And if anyone would like to come forward and uh, pray um, as they sing, you can come ahead and, and, and 